So what we're doing with this series is um, we're, we're taking a look at different, pa- or di- not different passages, different concepts that have a hard time being sort of like con- put into a constructed box. And I, I used the illustration last week of like, you know, the basic sermon structure that, that I used to write for for, for, other ser- for other pastors is like there's a concept. And you explain the concept, you do a full explanation of this is what the concept is. Here are all the theological ins and outs of the concept in 15 minutes or less. And then you spend the rest of the time with uh, like outlining three to five bullet points of here's how to live out this concept with verbs that preferably start with the same letter. And then usually there's like a little Bible verse that goes after every bullet point just to prove to you that the Bible agrees with you. So that, like that's, that, that's the overall basic structure of a lot of sermons. And nothing wrong with that structure. I've written like probably at this point hundreds of sermons that follow that basic outline. And, and in, in certain situations, that outline is fine. But there are certain topics that you can't really fit into that, that structure because they're either too big or they're too expansive or they're too confusing, quite frankly. And so what I wanted to do was kind of, you know, well, and I, I, let me back up a little bit too, is one of the things I've really struggled with this year is asking the question, what are we gonna talk about? Like other than going just through the lectionary, which is fine, but other than going through the lectionary, I, I, I like to preach through series. I like to have like a central idea or a central question that we ask and then spend uh, like four to 25 weeks, uh, depending on how long the series is, um, kind of dealing with like what, what exactly do we think, how do we, how do we process this particular idea? And I, I've had a really hard time this year coming up with series ideas because I feel like we've covered a lot in the last seven years and I, I don't want to just repeat myself. But at the same time, um, like what, what else, what, what, what is left to talk about? And so I, I've, I've done a lot of sort of wrestling with that question. And the thing that I, I came up with was there, there is a list of things that I've always been sort of like reticent to talk about. That, that, that I've just sort of always kind of been like, I, not, not that I don't believe in these things, not that I don't have any sort of thoughts about these things, but just because these, these are things that have a hard time being fit inside of a sermon. And so what I decided to do was, what if we did a whole series about things that are hard to write sermons about? And um, because that seems like a good way to spend, <laughs> spend your time. So that's, that's what we're doing. So last week we talked about prayer, um, which is one of the easier w- ones of, of this, this uh, series. So today we're going to talk about the concept of spirit and, the, and specifically like Holy Spirit. So this to me is one of the more, if not the most difficult topic to just sort of like get into like, here's a three point, like I don't even know, uh, I'll get to that in a second, but I mean, just hypothetically speaking, and, and this is a rhetorical question, but like if I were to ask you to, ex- to explain the idea of spirit, like, hey, can you explain the idea of spirit to me? If you've grown up in church or if you have, um, if you've read like a book or something like that about this, or if you have, have opinions or have heard lots of sermons uh, surrounding this concept of spirit, what do you think you would say? Like, especially like, and what if I added the caveat, like you can't use any church lingo. You can't use any Christianese at all. And, and you have to, but you have to somehow explain the concept of spirit. It would be very difficult, I would imagine. Like, how would you talk about it specifically without trying to sound like a weirdo? You know, like how, how would you talk about that without sounding like a, per, a person who like had a crazy fever dream last night and was like, okay, here's what this is. Like, it, it, this, it, it gets really ethereal. It gets really kind of abstract really, really quickly. And I remember um, 
I remember being asked to write a sermon for another pastor specifically about the Holy Spirit one time. And in fact, I, could, I, I realized I, I started last week's sermon with the same basic, like I, I was once asked to write a sermon about this and I, I got into an argument with the guy um, about like how, like there's no way, you can't just like condense this into three bullet points. And um, I, I realize now, I'm just now realizing like I could have totally titled this series, like, <laughs> like arguments that I've had with other pastors about sermons you can't preach. Um, that would have been a weirder uh, t- title for the series. Um, but I really struggled with it. So this guy, he, he, he wants a, a series about, like, I, I forget exactly what the series was, but he says, and I want for sure to have a sermon about the Holy Spirit. And I remember, like, we're, I remember specifically working, like, really late into the night and, like, trying really, really hard to try and wedge this idea into a three-point, bullet-point sermon. And I, I remember, and I did it, and I remember after, after we were thinking, like, that was not very good. <laughs> And I really hate doing work that I later think, that wasn't very good. I, li- I, I like to, being an Enneagram 3, I like to feel good about the work that I do. And so, but I really struggled with that. And so the whole concept, and, and, and in the seven plus, almost eight years of, of us doing this church, I've, I've talked about this in, in specific terms very, very little. And, and the whole, because the whole concept of the Holy Spirit, to me, is a lot like the concept of money. And what I mean by that is some pastors really love talking about it, like almost excessively, um, while other pastors would really, really rather not uh, because it's awkward and it's weird and I do, I, like, we don't know how to get into it without it feeling like pointed or uh, abstract or, or any, like any, w- w- in a lot of, w- without drawing up a lot of emotions that you don't necessarily intend to draw up. So um, I tend to fall into the latter category mostly because it feels Con- specifically the concept of spirit, not the concept of money. But, um, I mean, I, I fall into the, the latter content. I, I fall into the latter category of both. I would rather not talk about Holy Spirit. I would rather not talk about money. Those are the two things I, I, I feel very strongly like I would rather just like leave those things alone and let people sort of draw their own conclusions. But I also realize like you kind of have to talk about these things. These are, these are things that exist in the Bible and you can't just like ignore them entirely. So, um, but I, I tend to fall into, I, I tend to try and veer away from the Holy Spirit just naturally in terms of sermon content, mostly because it feels so fluid and it feels so undefinable that it's easier, it really is just easier to just change the subject or talk about something else. But over and over again, the scriptures affirm the existence and and they they affirm the movement of what we refer to as spirit. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to do our best and realizing that the whole point of the series is not to just like, okay, here are the five things that you need to know about the Holy Spirit. But instead, being like, here's a conversation that we could be having about the Holy Spirit. Here's, here's how we could be discussing it. Um, I, I know Richard Rohr has written a book about the Holy Spirit, w- which the title of the book has escaped me. I should have written it down. Um, but there, there are other writers who have done a much better job at this than me. Um, and so I'm just sort of kind of following in the footsteps of other people who have started and, and continued this conversation in much more elegant ways than I have. Now, all that said, let's look at John chapter 3. So in John chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 1, we looked at this a, a few weeks ago. It says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could f- perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again, which is strange, 
uh, all by itself to say. And then Nicodemus, I think, is intentionally being a little bit obtuse here in his reply in verse 4. He says, how can, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. To which Jesus replied, obviously you've missed the point. Um, so, and then, so in verse 5, actually he didn't say that. So in verse 5, Jesus answered, very truly. So Jesus gives a, a vague answer. Nicodemus replies with a very literal response to that vague answer. And Jesus is like, what if I just double down on the weirdness of the whole thing and say, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and, and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everything born of the spirit. So Jesus has this notion of spirit. And, and when Jesus is asked to define spirit, Jesus says it's a lot like wind. It's a lot like a thing that cannot be contained, it can't be controlled, it can't be predicted even. It is a thing unto itself, and it is, it, it is a specifically non-material thing. So one of the reasons it's so difficult to talk about spirit is, is that it is by nature non-material. There are material realities. There are things like dirt and food and clothes and coffee and trains and cars. And like There are things that are physical and, and material. There are things that I can taste and touch and smell and see. But there are other realities that go beyond my senses. There are, there are things that, that elude materiality, essentially. So, for example, if you've ever spent time with someone that you really care about, a close friend, a close relative, your kids, you, your, your senses have access to that experience. Your, you, you, ha, you have sight, you have, t I mean, mo most people have, have like the, 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 the five senses that we're all familiar with. Um, and, and you can sort of access those experiences with those senses. But your feelings about the experience are just as real as the fact that you're sitting together at your favorite coffee shop having, like, having a conversation. So you're having a conversation and you're using your, your ability to see and to hear, but you're also, um, you're also having an experience that fuels some, some part of you that doesn't have materiality. The, there, there, there is something going on at a cellular level. There, there, is, there is something going on at, on a, if you will, a spiritual level that you can't necessarily put, like you can't just put your fingers on. So when we describe something as being spiritual, I think what we're trying to say, and we've, we've gone, we, we've talked before about how there, in Hebrew there is no word for spiritual because the, the concept that certain things are removed from spirit and certain things aren't, aren't is in Hebrew in the Hebrew mind a, a non-starter. It's basically like, no, everything is connected to spirit, so why would you have a word that describes what, what is and what isn't connected to spirit? So, but when we, in English, describe something as spiritual, I think what we're trying to say is that we're, we're, we're trying to talk about things that are tuned to realities that transcend what we can and cannot access with our five senses in the material world. If that makes any sense, have I have I lost everybody already? Like like already, I feel like this is getting very woo woo. But um, but in trying to describe spirit, what we're talking about is we're talking about things that exist in a non-material form. So the notion of non-materiality can really cause lots of us to struggle with the entire notion of spirit. So um, let's jump over to the book of John, chapter four. So, or, uh, so I'm, I'm sorry, we're already in the book of John, so just jump over one chapter to chapter 4. So um, in John chapter 4, you have Jesus having an encounter with a woman. 
um, a, a, the, the Samaritan woman at the well, if you're familiar with the story. And they have a whole conversation about like her past relationships and it, it gets kind of personal and weird with her. But weirdly, in the middle of this conversation, this woman gets it, she wants to start a conversation, in the midst of a conversation about her personal life, this, this woman wants to get into a discussion with Jesus about where God is most appropriately worshiped. Because in the world of the Samaritans, there is this one specific location where God is most directly worshiped. But in the traditional Jewish notion, God is worshiped on a different place, in, on a different mountain. And so they have the, this discussion, they get into this discussion about where is God most appropriately worshiped? Where can, where can you go to most directly encounter God? And so in John chapter 4, verse 21, um, Jesus gets into this discussion with her. And so he, he says, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. So this woman wants to have a concrete discussion about where God is, is most adequately worshipped. And Jesus gives an ambiguous answer, and then Jesus says, God is spirit. What is Jesus even trying to say with this answer? God is spirit. She wants to have a conversation about tactile realities. Jesus says, there's a time coming and has now come when tactile realities about where is God and God, where is God most adequately worshiped and God not most adequately worshiped. Jesus says, these questions are irrelevant because God is spirit. So, um, okay, so what, what we need to do probably now is kind of back up like a few thousand years to like the, the origins of human consciousness, obviously. So, um, so let, let's assume you have these two, let's say, let, let's say you have these two cavemen and the two cavemen get into an argument and things escalate and one caveman hits the other caveman over the head with a giant rock. And the guy, the second guy falls over and lies perfectly still. And the first caveman wants to know, is, this, is, is caveman number two still alive? And so he shakes caveman number two a couple of times. Caveman number two doesn't work, or doesn't, doesn't move. So what does caveman number one do? Well, one of, one of the things that, presumably, one of the things that caveman number one is going to do is he's going to check to see if the guy is breathing, to see if air is coming in and out of his lungs, to see if, if or out of his nose, or whatever. And if the guy is breathing, he's alive. If he's not breathing, he's dead. So here's why we're talking about this. For thousands of years, human beings have carried the assumption that life and breath are linked. For good reason, because for we, there's all, there has always been this sense that when a person has stopped breathing, that person is no longer alive. So this is so true that in many cultures, the word for breath is the same as the word for spirit. And so this awareness, this, this, this awareness that there is a life force that you either possess or you don't, and that life force is an unseen force that co goes in and out of your body, has been around for thousands of years. So when we talk about spirit, there is this assumption that there is this animating force that gives us life in all kinds of ways, and it is an unseeable force. And we call it breath, but the ancients would have called it spirit. So spirit 
is an animating energy. The idea here is spirit is a thing that animates. That when Jesus talks about God is spirit, what Jesus is talking about is there's an animating force in the, in the universe that moves and is, is causing motion to other things. So jump over to John um, chapter 14. The reason we're in John so much, by the way, is John tends to be a lot more sort of ethereal than the other God. Like there, there are four writers of Jesus's biography, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Of the four, John is by far the, the one who is most concerned with issues of spirit and non-materiality. John is the one that you would refer to probably as the most spiritually inclined of the four. Um, the, the other three have a lot more to do with like concrete reality and concrete, like this happened and this happened and this, this happened. For John, it's a lot more about like how, um, it, uh, it, it's a lot less about like just the concrete realities and it gets a lot more into sort of like the, the non-materiality questions. So that's why, that's why you see a lot of these stories in John. So in John chapter 14, uh, verse 15, uh, Jesus is speaking, and he says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The, word can, the world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you I'm sorry, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will, will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be with, will be, I'm sorry, the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show them, show myself to them. So there's a lot of be with you, not be with you, uh, like kinds, kinds of discussion, but it's framed in the advocate will come. This, and he, when Jesus refers to the advocate, he's referring to spirit. So Jesus wants, to, wants his followers to do what he does, to be his, his presence in the world, to be an empowering force that enables what, what he refers to as spirit. And then if you jump down to verse 25, um, it says, all I have spoken, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all these things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So there is a discussion about spirit and the discussion kind of culminates in you're not alone. Don't, do not be afraid. So spirit is this non-material presence that serves as an animating force in helping us become more loving, more grace and peace oriented people. The question of who are we becoming in the world is a question of are we being animated by the spirit of God? Are we, um, are, are we fueled in some sort of way? We are, are, are we being empowered to do something? I, an illustration of this, uh, th this is kind of a, a pretty pedestrian illustration, but it's one that I find useful. Um, if you have ever uh, had a late night and you didn't get enough sleep in the morning and you're sort of groggy and you're kind of um, moving around, not really fully yet in your like full like awakeness. And you're, you're kind of stumbling through your house and you're not totally sure where you're going or what you're doing. And you, um, you've forgotten where like the basic things are, like the toothpaste and, the, um, and just like all, all the things. But then someone hands you a cup of coffee and then you drink the coffee. And as you drink the coffee, it's almost like you feel like, 
oh, right, I'm a human being and I'm alive. It's like, it's like, it's like a thing going through your veins almost. And it, you, I, I don't know if coffee has this effect on you. Um, <laughs> I, 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 on my way here on Sunday mornings, I stop and get a cup of coffee and then I come and I make 35 cups of coffee um, of which I drink at least like two or three. So I, um, I, 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 am, I am one of the people for whom like coffee's a big difference in like how the day's going for me. Um, s some people might call it an addiction. I don't know. I, 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 I won't judge. Um, but, but I, I, I have, but, but coffee in, in those moments can feel oftentimes like an animating force. It can feel like a thing that awakens you in a certain way to become the person that you need to be to get through the day. So, um, not, not to, but again, I realize like this is a, a pretty pedestrian sort of illustration because I'm comparing spirit, like the animating force of the universe to a cup of like caffeine water. Um, but so I, I realize like how, um, how weak, no, no pun intended, how, how weak that illustration can be. But spirit, if, if, we're, if we're going back to what Jesus ha has to say here in John 14, spirit is the thing that empowers us to become more and more of who we were always meant to be in the world. Spirit is the thing that reminds us that we are, we are people who are empowered to bring grace and peace and love and joy into the world. Spirit is an empowering force. Look at Acts chapter 2. Um, probably the most famous scene that deals with the concept of spirit happens in the book of Acts chapter 2. Um, this is in, in the immediate aftermath of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so now you have the original followers of Jesus asking questions about who are we now? What, what who can we be? If Jesus is no longer physically with us, who are we supposed to be in the world? And so um, in chapter 2, beginning of verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated, the, uh, that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And other tongues here is just other languages. So basically the, um, the scene that you're seeing here is you're seeing a lot of people from lots of different parts of the world who are all gathered in one place. And one of the things about being gathered in, together in one place is there's a language barrier. And so what you see here is one of the first things that the Holy Spirit does in this scene is empower people to communicate with one another in ways that they never could before. It, it, it takes the thing that divided them and it removes it. And then in verse 5, it says, Now they were staying in Jerusalem. There were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine, which is a weird way to, to close the story. Um, by the way, th this, is, this is an aside, uh, but I always find this interesting because one of the um, one of the justifications for people using, for, for not using, um, or not drinking, or not using like wine in communion is they'll say like, well, wine in the Bible wasn't really alcoholic because it was like just basically like really fermented grape juice or whatever. Yeah, except there's this one scene where crazy stuff's happening and the only explanation certain people have is like they've had too much wine. I've never had so much grape juice, you know what I mean? That, that people are like, wow, he's really gone over the edge. Um, 
So anyway, neither here nor there. So what we have is we have spirit animating this, this group of people. And what, what spirit does is spirit removes the thing that divided this group of people. Spirit animates us on an individual level, like what we see with Jesus when he talks about the advocate. Um, but spirit also animates on a collective level. You see this massive group of people all of a sudden being more empowered to bring grace and peace into the world. So there, is, there are all sorts of questions surrounding what is the point of the spirit? Well, the spirit is this animating force that brings life into the world and reminds us of who we are meant to be. It is, it is non-material, so it's difficult to sort of be like, well, that was, uh, like, I, <laughs> I felt compelled to be kind to my neighbor with that yard sign that I hate. Um, or whatever, and so I, that must have been the spirit. Well, th there's a non-materiality to it, so it's hard to sort of like put your finger on it, but at the same time, I, I think what Jesus would say here is like, yeah, anytime we feel compelled towards grace and peace, there is some sort of spirit-influenced um, concept going on there. there. There's some sort of spirit-influenced action going on. Um, there's a writer named Frederick Buechner, who's a uh, preacher and theologian, who, again, has written much more adequately about this concept than, than I ever have or ever will. Um, but one of the things that Frederick Buechner writes is this. He writes, The common view is that life itself, whatever life is, does not care one way or another any more than the oceans care which, whether we swim in it or we drown in it. In honesty, one has to admit that a great deal of evidence supports such a view. But rightly or wrongly, the Christian faith flatly contradicts it. To say that God is spirit is to say that life does care, that the life-giving power that the life-giving power that life itself comes from from is not indifferent as to whether we sink or swim. It wants us to swim. So according to Beekner, the spirit is a force of life that cares whether we sink or swim. That spirit is this animating force that says you are loved and you matter, and you are now empowered to go and remind other people that they're loved and they matter. So maybe you need some animating energy. Maybe it's been tough. Maybe it's been a really, really hard week, year, couple of years, 18 months approximately, and maybe you're just drained and you're just out of gas, and maybe you need an animating spirit to remind you that yeah, you are still empowered to bring grace and peace and love into the world. I know I need that. So maybe you need some animating energy, and maybe this is a reminder of, oh, that, that animating energy is within our grasp. We, are, we, we have access to spirit, and spirit continues to guide us and animate us. Maybe you need to be reminded that God is on your side, and that the spirit of God doesn't want you to sink. The spirit of God wants you to swim. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this animating force, this uh, spirit that we've been empowered with. We pray that we would be more cognizant and aware of the things that we cannot see, of the non-materialities in this world. And for all the things that we cannot explain, may we at least grasp onto this notion that spirit animates us and guides us and empowers us to bring more life and grace and goodness into the world. For those of us who are beaten down, for those of us who are tired, may we find that there is an animating spirit that gives life to each of us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.